Today, on The Lab Report, we talk about, wait for it, nutrition. Do you think most people have good nutrition? Most people? Probably not. How would they know? They don't. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to The Lab Report. Hello. Hi. Welcome to The Lab Report. Yeah. Welcome, Patty. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing fantastic. Yeah. It's a great day. It is a good day. I'm excited about today's show. We got a a ton to talk about, uh, partly because we're going to cover the entire breadth of nutrition. No, we're not. Start to finish, history, clinical application, all of it. This is going to be a long episode. We're going to know. 20 minutes. (laughs) We're going to do all that in 20 minutes. So you better start talking fast. Good thing I'm from the Northeast. I'm going to hold on to my seat. Let's go. Pardon me while I drink some more coffee. But... It is true. We are going to mm-hmm. talk about nutrition. Maybe not all of it because that's a there's nutrition is a huge topic mm-hmm. and there's a lot to cover, right? It's really the basics of everything. It is. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. It's the foundation tenant. Everything that comes into your body goes through the GI tract, fuels the cells, responsible for everything that's going on in your body. Is that an overstatement? You think that's no, a reach? I think that's exactly right and i think the fact that we've been speaking about the gi tract for the past few episodes is makes us a great transition because it's so closely tied to your nutritional status whether you're malabsorbing or maldigesting yeah there's a lot of things that you might think about from a gi test so if we're talking about gi function it relates to nutrition it's a good crossover Mm -hmm. right it's what you're saying is we're kind of like we're, we're bridging from the gi to nutrition and there's a lot of things that if you know a patient has GI issues, might lend to an a, a evaluation of nutritional status. Some things you mentioned, malabsorption, maldigestion, that's going to lend itself to problems with the ability to just get vitamins, minerals, protein, all the essential nutrients into the body. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that the microbiome makes, vitamins. Yeah, um, they're actual commensal bacteria that make vitamins. Yeah, vitamin many, K, many of them. Yeah. folate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... You know, that's that's very, very important to make sure that you have a good microbiome balance. And, you know, we, we hear about this a lot, too. Nutritional supplements, actually, the how well those nutritional supplements are being digested and absorbed and what the microbiome is doing to them as well. There's some literature to suggest that their alterations in the microbiome can also be affecting not only the food that you're eating, but nutritional supplements that you're taking right, and herbs. Right, and maybe right. even some of these herbal medicines are not, the, the constituents in them are not directly entering circulation, but it's what the bacteria turn them into. Mm, right? Interesting. Isn't that crazy? Very. So the microbiome plays a big role in your nutritional status as well. So, you know, going from GI to nutrition makes a lot of sense. And you can also think about going vice versa. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Um, you know, nutritional aspects that affect GI health. So that's kind of a two-way street there. And we talked about with stool testing how results of of stool testing can lead you down paths of questions you wouldn't have even known to ask. And I think that's where this transition into nutrition is important. Yeah. Yeah. 
And from a clinical presentation standpoint, you may not always be able to just detect somebody walking in the door first time, whether they're new, they have nutritional deficiencies or nutritional inadequacies. I make that distinction because they're, they're literally two different things. Um, nutritional deficiency is phrase that I'll reserve for the ICD-10 diagnosis. Like you know, scurvy. With, yeah, with set rickets. criteria, vitamin D below 20, that sort of thing. Whereas nutritional insufficiency would be they're not quite deficient, but they're probably not optimal from, from a nutrient standpoint. Um, That's a good distinction. And, you know, we, we know more and more, like, for example, identifying essential fatty acid deficiency, right? You're not necessarily going to see that unless... You know, if you've been to some of the functional medicine trainings and you're looking for the the bumps on the skin, right, then that might be an indicator of essential fatty acid deficiency. But, you know, that's that even is pretty nuanced. Right, um, right. And, you know, I'm sure that's not diagnostic nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10. Right. And when you yeah. say most people are somewhat suboptimal in their nutritional status, I mean, it's hard to say that. And not get a little sad, but I would be, you know, if you, the majority of people, I think probably have some room for improvement from a nutritional standpoint. And there's, there's many factors that go into that. It's not just a lot of people eating bad diets, which there is a lot of that out there today. Um, it's the, the actual quantity of the nutrients in the diets that we're eating, even if you're eating a, a very good diet, um, it's just really hard to cover all the bases. And it's all those other things like oxidative stressors or environmental exposures and medications you take that can waste nutrients. So Or GI health. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, one might say that a nutritional status, I think we were, we were talking about who would you run the test on? And we think about, you know, things like people who have chronic fatigue or just, you know, fatigue in general people who have mood disorder, people who have even pain syndromes, trying to optimize sports, fitness. Those are some some major demographics that I'd be thinking about. But at the end of the day, who would you not want yeah, to know? that's kind of where I was thinking. Do they have adequate nutrients? Right, right. But let me, let me ask you this. I mean, because mm-hmm. this was very much a, a foundation of our naturopathic training. I mean, we spent a year in diet and nutrient therapy. We had multiple, multiple classes in nutrition. But from your experience coming from conventional training and then working in the hospital, I mean, how did you guys approach nutrition? It's a whole different paradigm. I mean, we all know nutrition is important, right? But to be fair, working in an acute setting, Nutrition's not your number one go-to, right? You're looking at pathophysiology and making things better, but nutrition is important. I worked in a hospital, and we needed total parenteral nutrition, and we needed nutritionists on just about every case because patients need to heal wounds. You know, patients are post-surgical and can't absorb well. We had cardiac patients, and so you're worried about different electrolytes. So we measured nutrition in the acute setting in that respect. However, in the conventional world... It's a little bit different. It's not the it's not the foundation of what we do, though it should be, and I think some of that is changing. But conventional medicine doesn't look to that first, which right. is unfortunate. And you know, when you're talking about parental nutrition, mostly what you're talking about is just making sure people don't develop nutritional deficiency. 
right? You're not yeah. talking about preventing <sighs> insufficiencies or encouraging nutritional op- oh, optimization. No. Yeah, it's not that subtle. It's more. I mean, just I've seen the food the that they serve in the hospitals, <laughs> right? And even even if a nutritionist nutritionist prescribed it, I'm not thinking that that's the most n- nutrient dense items that could be on a tray. It's fair, and most of these people are quite sick. And their guts may or may not be working. But with that, the conventional world, it's not as big of a focus as it is in naturopathic medicine or functional medicine, which is unfortunate. Do you think part of that is because a lot of the pharmaceutical medications that you guys are using work so quickly Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's the knowledge that people changing their diet, you know, out there is going to impact cardiovascular risk. It's going to impact metabolic syndrome and diabetes. But it's just going to take a while and there's a little bit of uncertainty as to whether a patient's actually going to take it seriously. I mean, do you think that's part of it? I think it, I think it does. And I think some of it is to be fair, when a patient comes to see a functional medicine doctor, they've been through conventional medicine. They're seeking you out. They want to get better in conventional medicine. These are patients who are just acutely sick or don't know about functional medicine and don't have the wherewithal or the knowledge to understand the importance of the diet nor the motivation. So it's easy in conventional medicine just to give medications because you can't just tell someone to change their diet if they're not motivated and they're not knowledgeable enough. Yeah. And, you know, motivation is something that we talk about as clinicians quite a bit. It's one thing that I've actually, I've tried to push back on a little bit because I think motivation is a tricky thing. I think education helps mm-hmm. develop and cultivate motivation in our patients. Because even patients coming to naturopaths or functional medicine practitioners, you know, a lot of them just want a pill also. Or, or some, you know, they want a natural pill that they think is going gonna, gonna to fix them as compared to a pharmaceutical pill. There's, there's motivation. I mean, shoot, we all have, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty Southern, right? I mean, shoot. Shoot. We all have motivational issues at some somewhere in our lives. You know, whether that's being motivated to exercise, whether that's being motivated to, you know, fix that cabinet drawer or do that painting you always wanted to do. Like, there's always areas where we need a little bit more balance. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to motivation, I think it's just an, it's a, a spot where I push back on compliance, you know, the, the patient faulting the patient for compliance, because I think a lot of times they just don't know why they're not motivated. And if we as clinicians can also help to address that, because we're just with nutrition, with exercise, we're talking about lifestyle change. Right. And anytime we're trying to prescribe a lifestyle change, we have to understand why the patient is doing the lifestyle that they're doing right now. That's a little bit of a soapbox, a little bit off topic. Wow, that was a diverge. But that being said, I mean, some some patients have taken control of their diet. They have they're taking responsibility and they think they're doing all the right things, but most diets, even when patients think that they're doing the right thing, aren't enough. It depends on you know, there's a lot of other factors like um, your energy expenditure. You could still be nutritionally deficient. Some, depending on where you live in the country, there are different trace minerals in your soil. So you may be deficient in other things you're not even realizing. So although you're trying to do everything right and you're motivated and you're on the right track, yeah, it's still possible to have yeah. some nutritional insufficiencies. Yeah. And from a conventional standpoint, I mean, really what you were trained and what you're looking out for and 
I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I feel like although your experience was in a hospital setting, it's not that different from what you might expect from a, a conventional primary care doc too, that you're looking out for true deficiency, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and the recommended daily intakes are to prevent things like scurvy and beriberi and those types of things. Right. And just to, to prevent acute illness, not necessarily understand that that these are important for long-term wellness. And that's where you get the the argument between what is an optimal amount of that particular nutrient. I mean, we don't even have agreement on how much vitamin C somebody should be taking per day and right. what's optimal. And I think the important part of that is that it's different for everyone, right? This sure. is the whole point of in functional medicine, all of these personalized therapeutics and very comprehensive testing profiles to get to that root because it really comes down to everyone has a different biochemical fingerprint. So how your nutrients work on a biochemical level is different from person to person. Yeah. And everyone has a different diet too, right? right? And and some people have very particular diets for good reasons. You know, maybe they're on a ketogenic diet to lose weight, or maybe they're on a paleo diet, or maybe they're vegetarian for moral reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to ensure that, that, those, that you're accounting for those individual diets and areas that those might be lacking because, you know, there's, there's no... There's no diet that, at least with the ones that I mentioned, that don't have risks. Mm-hmm. And I think about from a paleo diet, I think about risks around carbohydrate and fiber intake. When I think about vegetarianism, obviously there's the B12 and, and whether somebody's getting adequate protein in their vegetarian diet. I find that a lot in clinical practice where vegetarian patients try really hard to get adequate yeah. protein, but when I ask them to count you know, how much protein they're getting throughout the day. It's, it's nowhere near what uh, they thought they were getting. Right, right. Which, because we're talking about functional medicine and really the focus on nutrition in naturopathic medicine, we, we turn to specific testing that's not really covered in, you know, your conventional labs. We do serum assessments of nutrients in conventional medicine, which now you and I are discussing that may or may not be adequate because sometimes certain trace elements or certain electrolytes are very tightly regulated in your serum based on your acid-base status or your renal function. So to get to that root cause and to get to that specific biochemical fingerprint, there are some very comprehensive functional medicine assessments for nutrition, and they do them differently. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. You know, And just kind of going back to what you were saying, if you were to try to determine whether somebody had adequate magnesium dietarily by doing a CMP, you're never going to know, right? Because magnesium, like you were saying, is so tightly controlled in the, in the serum that it's not going to tell you about long-term status. And so you have to do a different type of blood test, which is uh, a red blood cell magnesium. Instead of looking at the serum, you're looking at the, the red blood cell. And that's going to give you more of an indication of long-term status. There's a lot of literature to support that. And so now you start to see where instead of doing a serum folate, you know, it's pretty well known to do an RBC folate instead to look at status. But that gets us into this whole conversation of what's the best way to evaluate the status of a particular nutrient. And it turns out that you know, as you know, each nutrient is very different in its in how you determine status, right? You're not going to be able to get very accurate readings from a serum or a red blood cell vitamin B6. 
we just don't have the, the, the right methods. Those aren't good biomarkers for status. So you have to take into account multiple factors. And the first one, we're talking about direct measurements. We're talking about a direct level of serum or red blood cell magnesium or folate, if you will. Um, and that, that does seem to work fairly well for some of the nutrients, but not others. And on the other hand, there's some laboratory tests out there and some research on what are called functional biomarkers. And I don't know if you want to speak to that for a second. Well, functional, a functional assessment really is a way to see how a patient is using their specific vitamins and minerals and nutrients on a biochemical level within biochemical pathways in your body. You're trying to see how you can go from one biochemical step to another in a specific step that requires a vitamin or a mineral nutrient cofactor, and you're measuring steps in that pathway to see where there's a hiccup, where is there an elevation, how is your body using those nutrients on a biochemical level. Right. So take, for example, methylmalonic acid. Methylmalonic acid is an organic acid, and methylmalonic acid requires vitamin, or I should say the enzyme, right ahead of methylmalonic acid requires vitamin B12 to do the work, to turn methylmalonic acid into its downstream products. So if somebody does not have adequate B12, that enzyme is going to work more slowly, leading to an elevation in methylmalonic acid. So therefore, by measuring methylmalonic acid, you have a functional indicator of a need for B12. And that's the way functional assessments work. And you can kind of take that throughout the entire biochemical metabolism in the body. You can look for all the pathways or all the enzymes that require B12 as a cofactor, and then what's right before it. Measure it. If those are elevated, now you're starting to see multiple traffic jams in all the B12 pathways. And that's going to tell you something different about status. And interestingly, there's literature out there in Mayo Clinic uh, citation about methylmalonic acid actually being a better indicator for long-term B12 status than a serum B12 level is. Can I ask a question about this? I guess. Is it possible to have a normal level of serum B12 and still have a higher functional need for B12? Yeah, the answer would be yes, that you could have theoretically a, a serum level of B12 uh, that's normal, but within the cells, there's still individual needs for B12. And, you know, maybe one of the reasons why that is is that as status dwindles, we don't know necessarily what pathways, what biochemical pathways are going to be slowed first, right? We don't know all the priority listings of, of every single biochemical pathway. So how B12 gets shunted as you start to run low, um, we don't know, but it could very well be that it still maintains its level in the serum for quite a long time while the cells are still showing some signs of need. And that's, that's an operating presumption. We do tend to also, Ben Lynch has mentioned in some of his talks that he believes because B12, serum B12 does not distinguish different forms of B12, that because bacteria in the gut also can produce B12, there could be some influence there as well. Mm -hmm. If people have a, a microbiome overgrowth, high amount of commensal bacteria, they could be producing B12. Um, at a high clip that's circulating in the serum doesn't necessarily mean that your cells are using the active form of B12 that they need. Interesting. So it's been about 20 minutes. I think we have, in fact, 
discussed everything related to nutrition. I can't believe you were right. I think we got to it. So under time. Under time. So that gives us a little bit of extra time for question of the day. Oh, great. Yeah. Didn't we discuss this? Um, yeah, I, I said I was going to work on it. And I worked on it. Wow. It's different. No, it's not. It's the same. I don't think so. No, you know how I know it's the same? My ears are bleeding. Oh, okay. I'll work on it. Let's ask the question. So the question of the day is the NutriVal, which is a nutritional assessment, is that an intracellular test or an extracellular test? And, and what's the difference? Hmm. Well... In the next episode, we're really going to dive into the specifics of the NutriVal. For the purposes of this question, let's just define what we mean when we say measuring something intracellularly versus extracellularly. That, that works. I like that. Thanks. Um, intracellular means in the cell, obviously. And so if you're going to measure something in a red blood cell, some people measure things in a white blood cell. When you're measuring red blood cell folate, for example, you're measuring how much was taken and incorporated into the wall of the cell. So that's intracellular. The other term we talk about is extracellular, which would be things like plasma and serum, which are outside of the cell. But the problem is everything that's in the cell goes out of the cell. Everything in the plasma was once inside the cell. Cells are permeable. Things move in and out of a cell all the time. Right. So when you're assessing which nutrient, whichever nutrient you're, you're going to assess, you have to decide how you want to assess that because sometimes intracellular is a better marker. Uh, sometimes extracellular is a better marker. But the NutriVal itself incorporates both intracellular and extracellular measurements. Yeah, it does both. And it's, it's a good point that you make. I think one of the reasons why we think about intracellular assessments, a good example is... RBC magnesium or RBC folate. The life cycle of a red blood cell is about 90 to 120 days. So the presumption there is that because a red blood cell lives longer in the system, it reflects a, a larger window of time. And therefore you can get a, a better degree of status. Plus we seem to have some good literature on how much the red blood cell incorporates things like magnesium and folate proportionally. Other things circulate a lot more freely in the plasma like serum zinc, uh, serum copper. Those are things that we know a little bit less about, has less literature around it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to pick the matrix that's most appropriate to reflect nutritional status. So we think about our red blood cell for fatty acid analysis. We think about the red blood cell for, uh, like I said, magnesium and copper and some of these other direct measurements. And then for the others, we're either doing a, a functional assessment by using those organic acids and looking at serum markers as well. You mentioned white blood cell. There's some labs that are doing white blood cell analysis. Very little literature on the white blood cell. I think as it relates to nutritional status and long-term status, most of white blood cells only live, I don't know, a few days to a couple weeks. So compared to the red blood cell, I, I don't know that there's adequate information to suggest that it reflects anything longer than a couple weeks worth of a, a lifespan of a white blood cell. But it's a good point. Um, and when you're choosing a test to run, you need to know that you're choosing the right matrix um, the right methodologies, and you really have to do your homework on this uh, just to see what's reflected in literature. And one size does not always fit all. 
And I think that's where Genova has done that work for you with the NutriVal because it's both intracellular and extracellular. Yeah, and we'll get into some more of the details about the NutriVal test in the next episode. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we'll be talking about next time. Any other thoughts about what you want to talk about next time? Um, let's go into the NutriVal. I mean, we covered a lot of ground here today as yeah. far as nutrition and what patients you'd order testing on. And, so and I we covered all the ground. We did. 20 minutes. Yeah. So um, let's go for the big one. Let's go for the big NutriVal next NutriVal time. might actually take longer than 20 minutes because yeah. it is a big test, people. It's a behemoth. It's a very big test with mm-hmm. a lot of interesting information. Exactly. And uh, you want to hear the song one more time? No. Okay. All right. I'll work on it. Mm. Please don't. Patty. Yeah? Should I do it British this time? Ooh. The content of the lab report is for educational purposes only. It is not meant to be misconstrued as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Brilliant. Jolly good. Next time on the lab report, we talk about the nutritional assessment known as the NutriVal. Ah, NutriVal nutrition evaluation. You got it. Look at you working. So sneaky. Well done. Thanks. You've been listening to the lab report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. It's going to be far out. It's going to blow your mind, people. What's wrong with you?